There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hello and welcome to a Off The Beat and Track live special. This is the first live show I've ever done and I was blessed to have Mr. Dom Jolly as my guest. Now, to give you a little bit of backstory on how this come about... I'd obviously interviewed Dom previously for Off The Beaten Track, and I got asked by previous guest Matt Stocks, um, I should say previous guest and friend Matt Stocks, who was doing an evening with Dom, if I would like to come along and open proceedings and do a, a live Off The Beaten Track with him. So I've changed the format of the uh, original questions, which... Dom's already answered on the on the episode in the back catalogue. Go and have a listen if you haven't already. And I based it all around live music and live experiences and concerts and festivals and, and, and such. And it was uh, and it was a great time. Uh, a lot of you turned up to watch it. It was at the O2 in Islington. And then when I finished, um, Matt took over and, uh, and 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 done another fantastic episode, which is also available now as well on Life in the Stocks. Uh, with Matt Stocks, which is a great podcast, similar to this in regards to um, generally um, it's guests from the world of music or um, the TV or film, and uh, and it's, it's again long form interview and chat uh, with the guest. And and Matt's a great lad, as I'm sure you're aware of uh, from listening to his episode on this. And again, if you haven't. Go back and check it out. Um, before we get on with this episode, big thanks to 76 for producing it. Um, thanks to Matt Stocks. Thanks to Dom Jolly. Thanks to the O2 Academy Islington, uh, who looked after us and kept us plied with um, booze. Thanks to SOS Clothing for sponsoring this podcast. Thanks to everybody at the Distraction Pieces Network. Thanks to My Name Is Ad for the artwork. And I think we're done. So please enjoy off the beaten track podcast live special with Mr. Don Jolly. I've got an announcement. Save our souls clothing. www.sosclothing.co.uk. Why am I telling you this? Because they're our official sponsor. Yeah, that's right. Go and check them out because their clothing is off the scale. You're going to love it. So they've decided they want to be our sponsor, which is amazing. And, what I have to do is I have to tell you about why they're amazing. So here's a little bit of blurb. So they've only been going a year. And they're based in South End on Sea, just up the road from me. They put the company together based on a, a love of tattoos and alternative music. 
And they've worked with some of the greatest artists around the world to produce these items of clothing that are as unique as you lot. All of the designs are printed using biodegradable, sustainable and water-based inks. And in addition to that, they only print on garments made by members of Fairwear Foundation. I mean, come on, great clothing and a conscience. Since going live in April last year, they've seen their audience grow massively and are now selling orders all across the world. And they were recognised by Cosmopolitan magazine as one of the best sustainable clothing brands alongside names such as Stella McCartney. I mean, that's quite a first year, right? So, go and check them out, because they've put a lot of love into supporting this podcast, and I couldn't be happier. What else they've done, is they've given you 15% off. So if you head over to www.sosclothing.co.uk, do a bit of shopping, see what you like, throw it in the basket, and then on the way out, put in the discount code, Beat 15, B-E-A-T-1-5, and that'll save you 15% off. Amazing, right? www.sosclothing.co.uk Official sponsors of Off The Beat and Track podcast. Let's get back to that podcast. It's Off The Beat and Track podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. With me, Stu Whipping. All right, ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, let's bring out tonight's extra special star guest. Please give it up for Don Jolly. We asked them to decorate it like a front room. Have they done a good job, Don? You like the ambiance up here? Yeah, a little bit. looks like my first flat in London, actually. It's quite nice. There weren't these people here, though, but um, that's all right. How are you? We're very well. We're very excited. Uh, I've, told, I've told the good people of London this is your first live appearance in several years. Uh, are you excited? That's the question. Well, I'm, I'm nervous because I don't really do live stuff uh, <laughs> for reasons that will become quickly apparent. Uh, but I'm not a live person. It's one of my weirdest things, being called a comedian, obviously, straight away. But it's like everyone goes, all oh, right, so you do jokes, you do stand-up. I don't do live stuff. I've never done live stuff. So, yeah, I mean, you'll see why in a sec. But, so it's a bit weird. I kind of like the idea of live stuff. It's kind of like making a TV show and then showing it in front of a group of people. But the difference is we don't have a TV show to show you tonight. So this is very disorganized. This but, is better because you're part of a live experience, a once-in-a-lifetime moment, right? Hey. Yeah, but all I know is the moment you use the word experience with anything, it means you're trying to bump it up a bit and it's going to be shit. <laughs> well, time will I'm tell, I'm right? playing this, aren't I? All right. Anyway, enjoy it. It'll be fine. It's only six hours and then we'll be out of here and it'll be absolutely no problem at all. Have you locked the doors, David? Yeah. Good well, man. Lock it down because we're in all night. I, uh, be- I was born at an early age. <laughs> uh, without further ado, Stuart, over to you for a live edition of Off the Beaten Track podcast. Thank you very much, Matthew. Which is basically not a podcast, it's just someone talking. A live cast. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so as we normally start with, with this podcast, ask people what the, the first record you ever bought was and things like that. But since it's a live show, Dom, I thought we'd just talk about your live experiences. Well, this won't take long. Exactly. And, and obviously, <laughs> music's going to be... I mean, music was a key thing alongside the comedy. In, yeah, in well, actually, it's more important than comedy... Because obviously, as I said, I'm not a stand-up. I kind of fell into comedy 
because it was something I did. But really, even on Trigger Happy, I was more interested in the in like Trigger Happy. I'm proud of, and it was great, and it was lots of funny stuff. But for me, it was about the edit. And I get into the edit, and then I was like, Oh my god, I've got every song I've ever heard in my life. What can I? What song can I put on on top of a thing of me? to make me a lot more exciting sort of thing. So it was kind of like I didn't make it in a band because I was in a band. So fuck, I'm going to take every song I like and put it on top. So, yeah, I'm more into comedy in music than comedy. And I was always interested in the fact that, for instance, you dressed as a snow yeah. on a separate oh, crossing. Oh, go straight there with my best <laughs> joke. <laughs> yeah. Would be soundtracked by something really heart-wrenching. Yeah. Like, was, was that a sort of conscious decision? To... No, it wasn't. And it was so odd because, I mean, basically, I'm an ex-goth. I mean, I like sad music. Sad music makes me happy, which is what is being a goth is about. Like, stupid people think, oh, sad music makes you sad. That's bad. Yeah. But if you're a goth, you kind of think, no, 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 sad things make me happy. I know it's not good. So one of the problems I had when I first did Trigger was that my, my comedy was kind of pretty basic, you know, if you're really going to slag it off, which a lot of people do, it's like, oh, look, it's a cat and a dog fighting each other, or it's a, it's a cat chasing a mouse through cheese shops. But drop in a bit of Jacques Brel on top of that, and suddenly you've got a bit of un, unwarranted depth. Yeah. And one of the problems I had when I first did Trigger was I just did these really stupid things, which I kind of loved, but I, it was all about... It wasn't about stupidity i just wanted I, to me it was so i did for instance the one of the first things i ever remember filming and it was so british uh i found a womble costume uh at the bbc storeroom and no one had asked for a womble costume for ages so to me it was obvious womble costume let's go to wimbledon common and get a womble littering like that made sense to me and it was basically womble on the verge of a nervous breakdown so i did this shot of a womble just throwing litter around going like that and it didn't mean much and it was kind of kind of funny and then i took this song by baby bird i'm a big fan of baby bird and there was a song called um i can't remember which one i used actually i think it was um I can't remember, but it was one of Baby Bird's many greater songs than You're Gorgeous, and put it on. And I remember taking it to Channel 4, and they said, yeah, this is great, but the song's a bit sad. Yeah, so maybe we could put something like some cartoon music. And I was like, no. And I suppose what I'm saying is that when I look back on it, it's really obvious. Like, my stuff's quite dark. But it wasn't like I analysed it, and when I was doing the Womble joke, I was thinking, now, this is a really, like dark take on children's TV and we must juxtapose this with some sad music. It just made sense to me that everything must be terrible and I wanted to put it on. But I remember I had to have that fight quite early on and they're going, no, 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 if you put some comedy music on it, it'll be fine. And I fought that straight on. Whereas I gave in on things comedy-wise. Yeah, it's interesting that you, you picked that Baby any Bird sense. there. Sorry, but... Because since then you've, you've remained good friends with Stephen. Oh, my God, I'm obsessed with... If anyone here is in any... The one thing you take away from tonight is what do we know about Baby Birds? You all think you're gorgeous. Great. We all think that's a great song, but it's a bit naff because it's used at weddings. It's not. You're Gorgeous is a bit like uh, Bruce Springsteen's um, Born in the USA. It's completely misrepresentative. If you actually look at it, listen to it, it's a deeply dark song. That's his only big hit. Since then, he literally is more than Prince. He makes about 20 albums a month in his basement that he just seems to send to me. And uh, they're fucking incredible. But, I mean, I was telling you earlier, like, yeah. I've got this podcast called uh, Earworm, and I, I found this song he sent me on a CD 
And I thought, this is the greatest song I've ever heard in my life. It was like a 12-minute song that I think was probably called Panic Attack because the chorus was, this is a panic attack. So I ring him up and go, you don't have that online, do you? So I can, like, put it in the edit. He goes, hmm, remind me of the song? I go, well, it's a 12-minute fucking amazing song with the chorus going, this is a panic attack. And he goes... No, I can't remember. And he makes, <laughs> he genuinely makes so many songs so brilliant. And so I'm like, so you're telling me that you've sent me a song that nobody else has heard yeah. and I'm going to be able to put out. And then again, on the new Trigger Happy, he sent me a song. He sent me a CD and I chose one song. It was amazing. And when the new Trigger Happy went out, it was the most requested song. And I said to him, we've got to find out what that song's called. He goes, oh, I don't really know. And I go, well, you sent me a CD with a rabbit on it. He goes, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the Gold Rabbit CD. I go, oh, great. Well, it's track 12. He goes, oh, I just called every song on the album Gold Rabbit. So, so you know, it's kind of half genius, half stupid, but he is fucking brilliant. All right, so to kick things off, Dom, what was the first live show you ever went to? Okay, this is, this is such a good story that it sounds like it's not true, but it is true. Okay. So I went to a boarding school, so I wasn't allowed out to gigs, but I was so into my music and I lived abroad. And the, f- the band I was obsessed with for quite a long time, and I'd still stand by it, was Spirit of Destiny, who started off as a theatre of hate. Uh, I now realise have possible fascist tendencies. That was not why I liked them. But Spirit of Destiny was a band I loved, and they had an album called One-Eyed Jacks, and I fucking loved that album. And about the first time I ever came to London was I was planning my 18th birthday, still at school, had no idea what London was about, came up to London four months before to try and plan it, found I couldn't get into any of these places, and I saw a nightclub called Bananas. Straight away, a bit of a red flag, yeah, you don't want to go there. And I think it was one pound to women before 11. I mean, basically, complete shithole, basically. So I thought, that's where I'm going to have my 18th, because we can all afford it. So I invited all my, well, not my many friends, to there, and then my girlfriend bought me tickets to Spirit Destiny at the Hammersmith Odeon on my birthday. So I thought, great, I'll go to Spirit Destiny, have my first gig, and then turn up at Bananas off Oxford Street and shag everyone I've always wanted to shag. Long story short, I didn't realise that gigs went on long. So when I came out of Spirit Destiny at 11 o'clock, tube was shut. Uh, I couldn't get to Bananas. I have pictures of my 18th birthday party at Bananas, but I wasn't there. But the gig was fucking amazing. So that was my first gig. Fantastic. Right. The first show that you performed at. So let's talk about your band a little bit. Oh, okay. You mean perform because I haven't done comedy. No, 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 no. Because you mentioned on the podcast that you played CBGBs. I did, yeah, but that was was the apex. Yeah. So the very first band we ever played. So I was in a band called Hang David, um, which, again, band names are so important. Yeah. We nearly called ourselves Pelvic Thrust. Because I think that was a bad news or a spinal tap thing. Yeah. But straight away, if you call yourself pelvic thrust, you're, <laughs> you've got a tiny audience window anyway. You've probably got rid of 90% there. Yeah. They're thinking poodle hair rockers sort of yeah. thing. And I, we fiddled around for ages. And in the end, we called ourselves Hang David. I mean, that's uh, a great marketing meeting, isn't it? But, yeah. Pelvic thrust? No, Hang no. David. <laughs> well, it wasn't that. But even worse... I mean, our band was so bad because the best-looking guy in the band and the only person women were interested in was the drummer, David. And he was actually well-hung, as it turns out. So I was in a band where basically by naming it Hang David, I'd accepted that I was not the draw and that the drummer was better hung than me. So any groupies were not going to come to me. Interesting fact, well-hung David 
went on to edit Trigger Happy, and he was the editor in Trigger Happy, so he's very good. But he's still he's a tiny penis, but uh, he's uh, <laughs> he's great. So so the very first gig we did, so after we got together, was the Rock Garden in Covent Garden, and it still seems a bit naff, but at the time that was quite exciting. It was. I don't know, 100 people, and we went in there and we had to give a demo. I can't remember what it was, but we got our gig there. It was so exciting. It's so weird. That was the first gig when I was doing bands. We got, um, uh, we, we, we was told that we could play the Rock Garden. And it was the first venue we played where in the post They'd we received in proper tickets. Yes, that's right. And, and I've got my <laughs> ticket. That's what was so exciting. Because normally it's like, give us 100 quid, you can do the fuck you want. Yeah. Just get out at 10. Yeah. But it was like, there it was. Hang David. Yeah. Doors open at 8. It was amazing. And I Only that. slightly ruined by my mother turning up. And she'd wrapped uh, pillows. She's not a music lover, I'll be honest with you. And she'd wrapped pillows around herself, sellotaped them. Because she'd heard, it was her first pop gig... And she'd heard that the sound sometimes from the speakers would break people's ribs. <laughs> this is absolutely true. Safety so, first, fun later. Was, well, you know, she was always important on that. So I was trying to be all cool and gothy and sort of thinking, fucking hell, I'm playing a gig. And then going, is that you, mum? <laughs> and I just sitting there with pillows around her. So it wasn't great. Was you nervous? Um, I actually wasn't when I went on. I thought, this is what I was, I'm born to do. Born to dress in makeup have long hair, and do very bad covers of The Cure and The Cult. I thought, this is it. I've arrived. I'm very needy, as you two are, because otherwise we wouldn't be up here. Of course. And it was the first thing I'd ever done, apart from, like, some school play. And the school play, you're like, well, who gives a fuck? It's someone else's thing. But at least, I mean, I can tell you now some of my lyrics. I'd written lyrics. And they were quite deep. I was quite into Marillion at the time, but it was kind of like indie meets Marillion, so... Who'd like to hear some of Dom's lyrics? Well, you're going to hear them... (laughs) It was, um, <laughs> I can't, it was so, um, no, I'm trying to remember, actually, I literally can't remember, I, I, I'll give you the names of the songs, that was easier, Place to Hide, So Marillion, Screaming, and uh, our political one, Rat Race, so uh, it was shit, it really was shit, I'll tell you that now, but we did have a single of the week in sounds, that was my high point in music, and the review said, like hurrah, Eating crisps. And I still have no idea what that means. So from being tinged with Marillion, playing yeah. the Rock Garden, mm. how did you end up at CBGB's? So we played the Rock Garden, and then we, I think we played the Mean Fiddler, and then we played, you know, all the sort of the London circuit. The toilet circuit. Yeah, the toilet, well, I, we called it the big circuit. But yeah, sure, whatever you want. <laughs> and then we had a, our bassist, died, which is a great Spinal Tap story. He literally just did die. Nothing rock and roll. He just died. And so we didn't have a bassist. And so our guitarist, who was very pushy, put a, one of those things up in one of those shops in Denmark Street, which is where, you know, the Who got together and stuff. I think we thought that's what would happen. So he put a thing up with one of those things. You just pull off the tag saying, yep. bassist wanted for happening new band. Must like the cure, cult, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, two weeks, nothing happened. We got one call from this American guy. He was shit, but no one else called. So in the end, we just said, okay, fine. Turned out later, he'd just taken the whole thing off the wall, and he was the only guy that made the call. And he was absolutely appalling, but he was only here for a year, and he was at a university called Binghamton, north of New York. So when he went back to New York, he said, why don't you come and tour, and you can stay at my mum's house. This is how rock and roll we were. So we went to Binghamton, and uh, 
we said, have you done some promo and stuff? He said, oh, yeah, yeah, totally. We got there, and he just photocopied pictures of me, and it just said, music by the cure and the cult. We did have our own songs. We had four people in there that night. But by that stage, we realized he was a moron, so we'd gone to New York, found CBGBs, and we did end up supporting the Tom Tom Club in CBGBs, which was pretty cool. That's and we, incredible. Thank you. And we had Clem Burke in the audience from Blondie. So we were, yeah, what exactly? <laughs> and uh, literally, it was one of those moments where we'd done it and uh, we realised we hadn't had enough time, enough stuff to fill our slot. So we did, it was all our own stuff with my moving lyrics, but we did finish with a fucking amazing version of The Cure's Forest. And we had to fill for a bit. So we did an 18 minute version <laughs> of The Cure's Forest. And all I can remember is me in New York, just going, lost in a forest full of love. Anyway, we thought it had gone quite well, and this guy walks into our dressing room afterwards, and we're kind of like, yeah, fuck off, we're cool. It turns out to be one of the new guys from MTV, likes us and wants us to come to MTV the next day. So normally that's where our career starts, but we had to fly back the next Obviously. day, so we never went on that meeting. So, so who knows? So when you come on uh, Off the Beaten Track, mm. we, we, we spoke about the cure a lot, and our mutual love of it, and yeah. And, and some, some incredible stories, how you've become friends with Robert Smith. And, friends. And, we were lovers for two and, years. <laughs> and how, how, how much you had this incredible night and you couldn't believe that you'd gone out drinking with him and how he ended up coming back to your house. You couldn't believe this. And then you realised you had what well, the next I day. I couldn't believe more that I'd invited him back to my house and then remembered there were about 40 pictures in my house <laughs> of me looking like him. And it was like that Alan Partridge moment of like, <laughs> fuck. So I literally had to run up and rip them all off the wall. But then what was weird was I ended up, I did, I've got a picture of Robert Smith in my kitchen and I'm sitting there three in the morning drinking a Robert Smith just thinking, fuck, this, I just don't know how this could happen. And then at four o'clock, as I told you, the pendulum moved and I suddenly thought, fuck, I've got to go to work tomorrow. Is Robert Smith going to go home? <laughs> and I, had, I ended up kicking Robert Smith out of my flat. So I went the full fan, like, fulcrum in one night, which was good. So did you have the conversation with, with Robert about the fact that you was in a goth band and used to play Cure covers? In my mind, I think when I ran up and pulled all the photos off, I think I kept it, you know, you know I was trying to play it cool. Sure. But I think two hours later, when we were sitting in my sitting room chatting... That's surreal, right? And I was so pissed, I thought, no one is going to believe that Robert Smith is in my sitting room. And I had one of those video cameras, and I thought, I'll tell you what I'll do. I will film this. And so I remember just chatting to him, going, and thinking, just picking up the camera and thinking, I just need to film this. No one believe it. And going like that, and he's suddenly going, are you filming me? And I go, no. <laughs> so I think we've never really had much of a discussion after that. He just yeah. thought, fucking mentalist. So, yeah. But I, he's, you know what's great? Quite genuinely, I've met a lot of my heroes and basically, you know, there is the thing, don't meet your heroes. They're either massive cunts or they're so disappointing and dull that you're like, why is this guy my hero? Robert Smith was bang in the middle because he's, he's a genuinely decent, nice, respectful guy. But he never, like, he kind of, he just always has that thing of just keeps it up. You still know he's Robert Smith and you're dog shit. But in a nice way. And I love that. It's great. Well, it, I mean, I imagine quite a few of the people here this evening probably haven't heard this podcast that, that, that you've done with me. I would imagine almost everyone. And, uh, pretty much. Uh, 
So can we touch on the, the, the story again? That, Which um, one? The one when he was in the car with you. Oh, because it's, okay. it's incredible. Well, it is. So again, me, I've got a very long... I could write a book about meeting Robert Smith. But, you know, growing up, I was a goth. And uh, I, I sort of didn't really love all the Cure music. But I did have the poster of Robert Smith. You know, I was a chubby, black-haired kid. So Robert Smith was the god, basically. And then finally, suddenly, I'm in this situation where Trigger Happy goes mental, and suddenly you're in this weird moment where you can ask people to... It's, what, it's the first sign of when your fame is going fucked up, is when you think, I'm just going to see how many famous people I like can come and do my stuff. And I was doing a really fucking up my own ass documentary called Being Dom Jolly about how terrible it was being famous, and it was a spoof. And there was in it a scene where I was getting married to supposedly a nurse I'd met when I was a foreign correspondent, even though I don't remember the story. And uh, they said, oh, it'd be good for, to have a cameo there as a best man. And I went, well, it'd be great if it was Robert Smith from The Cure. And someone, I don't know how this happened, someone makes a call, turns out Robert Smith goes, yeah, love Trigger Happy. Uh, I'll be in it. So I'm like, fuck. I haven't even thought through what the scene's going to be. So for five days, I'm so nervous. And then I suddenly thought, I haven't seen Robert Smith for ages. What if he's cut all his hair off, doesn't wear makeup anymore, no one knows who he is? But I think, I can't ring him up and ask him that. And then we had a genius thing. We were like, does Robert need a makeup artist? And they went, no, you do himself. I go, brilliant. He's going to be fine. <laughs> so I'm in my office, and suddenly someone knocks on the door and goes, uh, uh, Robert Smith is in reception. And I'm like, oh, play it cool, play it cool. <laughs> so I go out, and there he is. He just looks like fucking Robert Smith. He's a bit like, oh, oh, you know, like this. But he's cool. And I'm like, thank you so much for doing this. We're going to film this scene at uh, Maryland Registry Office on the Eastern Road. It's great. And he goes, do you want to come in my car and we can chat about it? And he's got a chauffeur-driven car. So I'm like, <laughs> yeah, okay. And uh, so I get in the car with him, and we're driving. And I'm just thinking, fucking don't fuck this up. There's Robert Smith next to me. And literally everything in my childhood is just like, holy fuck. Like, Robert Smith and me are in a car, and we're just talking like equals, because we're, like, equally artistically cool. And it's all good, and it's all very good. And we get to Euston Road. And anyone who knows the town hall in Maribyrn Registry Office, there's just a tiny little slip-off where normally cars come, can stop, let the people off, and then drive on. So the car stops. I'm like, play cool, play cool. And I'm on the Euston Road sign. So I open the door, and this lorry just fucking shears the door off. Like, literally. And it's a big limo. And smashes into traffic lights. And there's just this terrible... In a Cure album, it would be perfect. Like, this beautiful beat. Like, silence. And there's just a lorry, there's just a lorry smashed, smoking in the traffic lights. And there's me and Robert Smith staring at each other. And there's the driver just going... And then Robert Smith goes, is this a fucking hidden camera joke? And I'm like, and I'm like I, honestly, if it was, I just, I'm not organised to do it. And to, to his credit, Robert Smith was brilliant and just said, OK. And he came out, and I've got these scenes of him still looking a little confused and doing it all that day. But, of course, the, the day later that I've told you about where he came back to my flat... Yeah which was when I asked him to record it. The joke I didn't say was when we'd been to the pub, and then he said, oh, I'll never come up to London anymore. Where should we go? And I'm like, uh, my place? And I go, the, the guy who picked us up to take us back to my house, same driver, and he's like, if you fucking do that again. So, yeah. <laughs> so no, it's not been great, I have to be honest. But, yeah. All right, so I'm going to ask you about festivals now, Dom. Yeah. And festival experiences. I hate festivals, let me start with that. 
Uh, what? Yeah, of course. Do you want a beer? What are you saying? You're whispering. I'm just saying pull out a couple of beers from the fridge. Why? Am I an alcoholic? No, I'm just... I've seen yours is empty. Yeah, that's yeah. good. Thank Robert? you. Yeah. Have you got a name now? Stu has. What was Have your you? first festival done? Um, well, I'm either going to lie or not, because I haven't really been to many festivals. Like, my first festival was probably one, and I can't remember the name of it, but it was in Finsbury Park. And all I remember that I should have loved it because it had bands like Pavement and someone else was playing, but they were shit. And I went into a little tent and I saw this band and they were fucking amazing and it was Pulp and it was just before Pulp. Because Pulp, people don't know, when Pulp sort of became part of the Britpop thing, they'd had four albums out already and they were shit. They really were. But Jarvis Cocker had something amazing about it. And I saw him, and he, he just had such presence. And I remember walking into a tent and, and thinking, fuck, this is the greatest band I've ever seen. And I went to Rough Trade Records, because it was near where I lived. I bought all four Pulp albums and thought, fucking hell, these are terrible. <laughs> I mean, really shit. And then it all happened. See, I, I think that Jarvis is the last great British pop star. Well, the last great? I can't Disgust. think of anyone since... Jarvis, to me, is kind of not a British pop star in a funny way, because he's, he's almost like he should be like a Jacques Brel, you know, mm-hmm. but he's almost too intellectual, so we hate him, because as Brits, we hate intellectuals, but he's not showy enough and looks like a tramp, so in America, he'll never be a good pop star. Uh, Jarvis, to me, epitomizes what I love about... Someone explained to me, like, all, all American songs, all great American songs, are all about travelling and... You know, the Bruce Springsteen, the, the, the kind of, we're on the road, we're on Route 66, we've got the highway to come. It's all about going somewhere. But Britain, we're so tiny that all our songs are about kitchen sink dramas. Yeah, and, Lee, yeah. yeah, yeah. And Pulp is all about that. It's about hiding in a cupboard watching his girlfriend shag his brother and stuff yeah. like that. I mean, I'm not sure if I quoted that exactly. It's life in Sheffield, but you know what I mean. And that's what I love about it. Yeah. And that's why I love Blur, for instance. Blur, and if we're talking about perfect band names... Blur is so brilliant because, I mean, A, let's look at those two, Blur and Oasis. Now, when I lived, when I first moved to the country, I lived near Swindon. And obviously, as you would, you just slag off Swindon. And a local newspaper would immediately go, local comedian slags off Swindon. And there was a moment in my career where Swindon Council challenged me on Radio 5 Live to be taken on a tour around Swindon to show that it wasn't as shit as you think. (laughs) And, and honestly, they, you said yes. They had, oh, of course I went. And there, are two, there were two facts. Firstly, there was the magic roundabout, which I don't know if you know about, but there, Swindon has this roundabout that is utterly, if you're on acid, it makes sense. But there's six roundabouts here, shit. But the other one was a complete lie. They have the Oasis Leisure Centre, and they go, and of course, this is where Oasis got their name from. And you're like, really? So what? Liam and Noel, when they were fucking burgling around Manchester, said, do you know what? I'm going to go down to Swindon because they've got a wave machine. And then it's like, it was such shit. It was insane. But the reason I'm getting to that is Blur, whatever you think about Blur, we all think, you know, I mean, and I'm fine with talk, but middle class art school wankers. But I love Blur because, A, that word Blur, you're not going to not go and see the band because you see Blur playing tonight. So it kind of doesn't give you enough. You think it's good. But also, I love Blur because... Whatever you think of Damon and his middle, you know, his motney shit, there is nothing more brilliant than Damon Auburn. He's a fucking, um, and forget Alex James, we won't get into that, but Damon Auburn is a fucking amazing songwriter, and he's that 
perfect person that can write an amazing pop song like Country House, which is a terrible pop song. It's basically about my record company manager made so much money he bought a big country house. But there's a chorus in that that has so much sadness and melancholy, and it's like the kinks. And I, I will defend Blur to the hilt. Don't know where I got there, but there you go. Hello. I've interrupted the podcast again, haven't I? Sorry, it won't take a sec. All I want to say is, the songs that we're talking about in this podcast, if we can't play them, it's just because of the regulations regarding playing licensed music and such. So if you want to hear the songs... Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Just go over to Spotify and search off the beat and track podcast and you can listen to all the songs because I've put playlists up for each of these if you can't find it on there I'll send links on all the social media accompanying each episode so you've just got to press that one button and you can go through and you can enjoy all the songs that our guest picks anyway I'll shut up get back to the podcast see you on the other side I, I think tough crowd. if we're going to um, <laughs> if we're going to discuss the Blur and Isis thing to a, a, a little bit I think that well, you're Essex. So you're going to like Blur, aren't you? I, I love Blur, and, and I like Oasis. Oh, but, see? Love and like. Um, but I do think that Oasis are kind of the stones. They're the ones that have got their one sand, yeah. and, and they're fucking untouchable at that sand. Yeah. Blur and Damon, they're more Bowie. Like They evolve with every album, okay. and, they, and they, they, they kind of completely... Which brings me back to another thing you and I have discussed. The yeah. British pop star where of succeeding so you've got to me it's Radiohead Coldplay yeah. I know everyone that thinks they like music just has to say I fucking hate Coldplay I love Coldplay I like everything about them I mean there's a little bit of the third world fair trade shit enough of that that's fine <laughs> but, but, but it is that like Radiohead I'll be honest with you I went to school with Radiohead just by chance and bullied them and I think I'm responsible for a lot <laughs> no I genuinely did I, I bullied Tom York quite badly, and I think I'm responsible for a lot of his early deep lyrics. But I, I don't actually like OK Computer. I think it's, 
a kind of dull Pink Floyd album, and I love Pink Floyd. But whatever. They got there, they were artistic, they were fucking brilliant. What do they do? They're middle-class art school Brits who suddenly went, oh, I'm so embarrassed about being popular. I know, I will make something so fucking unlistenable to that it'll make me feel credible and we'll get rid of everyone. Frankly, what I did as well. So I'm completely guilty of it. <laughs> Coldplay, what I like about Coldplay, whether it's cool or not, is that they go, you know what, we make fucking rocking great tunes. We're just going to crack on doing it. And I think that's a much more... Well, it's certainly... Bank-wise, much better. What, I don't know if Radiohead are happy. What are your thoughts on U2, Dom? You see, U2 again. People think you should hate U2, and I hate everything about Bono and his non-tax-paying fucking feed-the-world, wearing orange glasses meeting thing. But there are moments of U2 that are the greatest moments of my life. I was at Live Aid, and uh, I think when they did uh, Bad, which is... I, I think that was the most astonishing moment. He took a moment from that song, Bad, in, and I now know from reading about it afterwards, he thought he fucked up. And he literally went from Lou Reed's Walk on the Wild Side to Ruby Tuesday. He was riffing, doing that stuff, and he walked off that thinking, fuck, we fucked up. And actually, it was the most memorable thing of the whole night. I know it's wanky, but in Rattle and Hum, which is a sort of when they're starting to become wanky, there's a moment where Bono stands up and does a song, Sunday Bloody Sunday, and he goes, this is not a rebel song. And rather than doing the trendy thing and saying, I'm with the IRA, he fucking lays into the IRA, which is a dangerous thing to do when you're a Northern Irish band. So, you know what? I mean, obviously they've got Pompey and Rocky, but there are moments. And I think Running to Stand Still, oh. to me, is, 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 is one of the greatest songs Radio in the history can. of the fucking world. I mean, it's insane. And I paid due tribute to that by going to Zermatt on a free skiing holiday for Trigger Happy and getting two very unhappy um, dogs to pretend to be St. Bernard's and just lying around drunk in the street. And I put that moving political song on top of that. And I think <laughs> you two have never thanked me, never given me any credence for it. But hey, what can you do? Well, look, we've spoke a lot about some incredible bands. So I'm now going to ask you, Dom, to pick your all-star band. So I want a singer. A rhythm guitarist, a lead guitarist, bass player, drummer. Fucking hell. If you want to throw I'm telling you straight away, I'm getting rid of the rhythm guitarist because there's no need. <laughs> all right, we're losing. I mean, all great bands, really. One of the ironies about music is that the greatest bands and the bands that have the most kind of impact tend to be three pieces. Think about the jam. Think about Nirvana. I mean, so really the rest are kind of fluff, aren't they? They're kind of... So I'm going to go for a three-piece band. Okay. I can't be in this, obviously. No. All right. Um... <laughs> So I would go with Prince, because I think he just... The joy is, any one of the other two that was ill, he could play everything else. What, what, he, what's, what's he doing in your band, though? What? What's he doing in your band? I think I'm going to make him drummer. <laughs> yeah. Because it would piss Sheila, Sheila E off. Yeah. And also, it just keeps him at the back, so I can have a chance with the ladies. Because, yeah, so I'm putting Prince on drums, but he has to keep a shirt on. And he has to shave the moustache. It's not no bum fluff from Purple Rain. He has to be full... No, 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 no. You guys have sort of committed. But Prince... <laughs> Prince was bum fluff. So I'm going for Prince on drums. Um, I'm going with... We haven't thought this through, really. And it's too obvious to go Bowie. So what do we need? We've got a... Presumably we've got a guitarist that's going to play the bass. So we need a good guitarist, don't we? I don't like guitarists. They fucking irritate me. No, but do you know what I mean? It's like, 
can you name a guitarist? That, well, I go for Mitt Rock, probably, because I like Mitt Rock. Mitt, Ron- Mitt Ronson. Mitt Ronson. Um, I think I go for Mitt Ronson, because I think he was a genuinely... If I think about guitar things that I've loved in my life, a lot of them came from him. Sure. And he was kind of undervalued and stuff. And he's from Hull, and everyone from Hull needs a help. So I'm going to go with that. That's so we've got chance. Prince and Mitt Ronson, and then singing, I'd have Jacques Brel. Nice. Just because I'm obsessed with Jacques Brel. He helps you when you're playing that game, Name, name Five Famous Belgians. Um, so that's there. <laughs> and also, it would be a band like no other. Absolutely. <laughs> and... That was a shit band, isn't it? It's not the greatest, I've got to be honest. <laughs> yeah, well, you don't know, and that's why. Um, we mentioned festivals earlier, and you said you don't like them. Yeah. But we spoke a couple of weeks ago, and you mentioned that you're doing a festival. Well, I'm not doing one, but I just... I live in Cheltenham, which is obviously one of the hippest towns in Britain. Very, uh, you know, like, culturally multi... You know, it's very... It's a fucking shithole, and it's white, and it's middle class, and it's famous for festivals. It's famous for the racing festival. I fucking hate racing. It's famous for the literature festival. Unless I'm in it, I hate it. It's got a jazz festival. No one likes jazz. Random, tuneless nonsense. It's got every festival, but of all these things, it's just Cheltenham's got this amazing... It is a beautiful town, whatever you think about it, and there's nothing that I want to go and see. So I thought, well, fuck it. I'll set up my own festival. If Alex James can have a festival... I can have a festival. So, uh, yeah, I'm going to set up a festival, and it's called... Well, I was going to call it No Such Festival, or not the Cheltenham Festival. But actually, I suddenly realised, it's fucking easy. I got hold of the council. They're now going to give me a different, iconic Cheltenham venue every year, and I'm going to take it over. And what I really want is something... Firstly, I want a winter festival, because I'm a goth. So I want it about the 10th of January, when everyone's kind of... Christmas is over, everyone's a bit hungover, no bands are touring... I want a unplugged acoustic type thing. And my dream list is Nick Cave, oh. uh, Boxer Rebellion, Leisure Society, Baby Bird. And I've got Leisure Society and Baby Bird already. Boxer Rebellion just split up, but I'm going to try and persuade them. Nick Cave, nothing back yet. But you know what he's like. He's a bit depressed. We'll get there. Flaky. Yeah, yeah. Fucking gloomy bastard. Have you seen Nick Cave live? Uh, no, I haven't. And it's one of the biggest... Again, as an ex-Goth, I never got Nick Cave. I kind of knew I should love Nick Cave. I just... I just... I just... It didn't do it for me. Everyone I knew that was into Nick Cave was a pseudo-fuck. And I just hated them. And then, I think about the same time, I heard the ship song, which would be my desert island... I mean, come sail your ships. It's oh. the greatest song ever. But also, he made two of the greatest musical documentaries I've ever seen... Uh, one was Skeleton Tree, which is the most recent one. Fucking amazing. And he did one before, which I can't remember the name. But it was kind of like a fake uh, autobiography. And he had Kylie Minogue in yeah. the back of... Uh, honestly, if you've not seen them... Uh, uh, 20,000 uh, Hours on Earth. If you've not seen any music video ever, go and see 20,000 Hours on Earth. Oh, my God, it's amazing. I think you... I'm going to sound like such a middle-aged fart here, but I do think... I'd you, agree, yeah. You... Uh, you grow into Nick Cave, don't you? Because I'd I don't know. I think, yeah, you do. I think I had so many but do mates. You, but that means, normally, that's, that's, that's fucking a cunt, isn't it? Because, I mean, I don't, don't want to grow into music. I want to like it when I'm 20. But you know, I had loads of mates that pretended they liked the birthday party. They didn't fucking no like one the birthday that. party. No. no, they didn't. That's like the people that said they were on heroin for 10 years. There they were. <laughs> the people that were on heroin for 10 years are dead. Yeah. Yeah. But I think, like, I, think, I don't know. I just think it's one of them things that you just kind of... As you get a little bit older, you discover Nick Cave, and you, you've got a little bit more time, and it's not... You don't it, think it's more just, we don't really like nightclubs, and we just sit there and... I mean, I didn't is. like dancing. 
Like, I think the thing, probably not you with your dodgy moustache, but I think the thing we have in common is I love music, yeah. but I hated nightclubs when I was a kid. Yeah. And I'd go out and I'd go, you know what, I'm just really happy here, sitting here like this with a beer, listening to music, and some twat will come and go, why are you not dancing? What's wrong with you? I go, I'm fucking fine. Yeah. And they go, what's wrong with you? I go, nothing's wrong with me. Fuck off. And Nick Cave, <laughs> yeah. there's no way you're going to dance at a Nick Cave gig. So no. that's, that's why I like it. I got told off by Goff at a Depeche Mode gig. What did he say? Please um, go no, away. No, she. Um, <laughs> I, I, was at, I was at a Depeche Mode gig uh, at Crystal Palace when, when they'd done this Songs of Faith and Devotion Tour. And they were supported by Sisters of Mercy. And Original wa- goths. Uh, yeah. But shit. This girl was in a, a dyed black wedding dress. Mm. And I was having, they, I think they played. You know, we're talking to people here. This isn't some sort of dream. <laughs> <laughs> and they, 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 they played one of the, the, the hits. And I was having a little dance. And this angry goth on, on this guy's shoulders in a wedding dress... <laughs> Turned around and told me to stop dancing because I want to goth. Weren't allowed to dance. But that's kind of why I like being a goth. That you can be contrary. There's no rules. I mean, I was a goth for ten years. I had no fucking idea what the rules were. I never understood the philosophy. There's no basic text that you can read when you become a goth and think, I'll flick through it and kind of say why you a goth. I had no idea why I was a goth. I just liked cider. I had black hair and I was a bit porky. That was it. Fuck the mission. <laughs> what? No, this is a problem. Because when people talk about goths, you have all these terrible bands like Fields of the Nephilim, fucking the mission. To me, a great, great, the ultimate goth band is Love and Rockets. Because Bauhaus was a bit like Sisters of Mercy. They were gothy, but they were almost too gothy. It's like fucking Bella Lugosi's dead. It's like too much. But Love and Rockets made an album called American Dream, America, uh, Express, which was literally... Imagine a really depressed goth suddenly made the perfect pop album, and that is Love and Rockets Express. None of you have heard it, and that's the problem with being a very good pop music goth. I'll tell you what we'll do, Dom, because we'll have some music on for the meet and greet part at the end. We'll play their album whilst well, that, we do that. That'll certainly empty the, <laughs> empty the building, which is what we want, so we can all take drugs and fuck off. I've got one more question for you, Dom. Oh. Um, is there a band that whenever I'm on tour, you always go and see? Do you know what? I'm so bad because I don't see bands. Because I live in Cheltenham, again, as I might have mentioned. And the reason I've set up a festival is we are on the... We're not even on the good band circuit. We're on the tribute band circuit. So we, just recently we've had bands like John Bovey, I don't know if you know, or CDAD, which are amazing. But we don't have any good fucking bands. But the band I've seen... Probably the most, the, the band that I would go and, is that true? I don't know. I'm trying to think of a band I've seen, actually. <laughs> Who have I seen? Do you know, I have no answer for that. What band I don't have you seen see, the most? Uh, well, it's The Cure, isn't it? And that's, I was trying to avoid that. Because <laughs> it just made me look like I was much more exciting than a, just a sad old goth. But I think I have seen The Cure. I've seen okay. The Cure seven times. I don't think I've seen a band more than that. Yeah. Uh, don't judge me. You are. <laughs> <laughs> I hated all of them, but yeah. I think, I think the cure can be a little bit hit and miss life sometimes. I think, I think sometimes, they can be a lot of miss. Yeah. But the reason I love them is if you are the cure and you can sell out to a million people Completely. in Rio, you just play all the fucking hits. Yeah. But they're, they're again, the cure have that slight radio headness about them. Yeah. In that 
you know, last time I went to see him was at Wembley Arena. No band should ever be seen at Wembley Arena because yeah. it kills it. But at least if you're going to do it, play the hits. Yeah. And instead he did, you know, he did a sort of 28-minute noodle on a guitar. And I'm like, I fucking hated the whole evening. Yeah. But I loved that he didn't just play the hits. Absolutely. So, you know, I don't know what we've learned there. <laughs> <laughs> Dom, thank you very much. Thank you very much. And, I'll, and I will pass you over. <laughs> Round of applause for Stu, please, ladies and gentlemen. Woo! You going to hang out with us, Stu? Stuart will now yeah, be selling cocaine and amphetamines for the next hour or so. So uh, just You're say hello. Okay. Don't be shy. There you go. My first ever live off the beaten track podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. It was a lot of fun. I stayed on stage for uh, Matt's podcast with Dom and proceeded to drink the best part of a bottle of wine, uh, then went out afterwards and drank some lager uh, with my pals, and then had to get up very, very early to get on a train and go and do some work. And I felt like shit in the morning, but it was worth every moment of it, because it was a great night, and I had a lot of fun interviewing Dom, and I hope that come across in this. So as I mentioned at the beginning, go and check out the uh, Life in the Stocks episode that, that followed mine That's, uh, with, with, with Matt, And uh, you're in for a treat there as well. Thanks ever so much for listening. I'll see you again soon. Bye-bye. Oh, yeah. Sorry. I've butted in yet again. I just want to quickly tell you about this magazine. It's called Pod Bible. Now, Pod Bible is the new essential guide to podcasts. It's put together alongside Spotify and Acast. And it's a one-stop shop to tell you all about the podcasts. You maybe know about but definitely about a load of the podcasts that you probably don't know about that we think you should know about. I mean, in the first edition, there's interviews with Adam Buxton, interviews with Craig Parkinson, um, there's features on Jade Adams, and there's just an abundance of information about so many exciting podcasts that are out there. Also, Spotify have given us these amazing little codes, so if you do get a print copy, you can just turn on your Spotify on your phone, Scan the little code and it just automatically opens up the podcast on your listening device. How good's that? If you haven't managed to get a print copy, then just go over to www.podbiblemag.com and read it online. Because the digital version is all over there and it's all free. So every other month there'll be a new edition out. So go and have a look and support us on the social medias as well. Podbiblemag.com it's off the beat and track podcast on the distraction pieces network with me stew with him planning for your next trip elevate your travel style with quince quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway like european linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods, for 50 to 80% less in similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, 
Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.